0: Um We have been talking, and I'm going to throw up my computer so I got my notes. We've been talking through Genesis. And uh, one of the things that is fascinating to me is Western culture, very frequently, when we start looking at our story in Genesis, we go through Genesis one and two as quickly as possible. And we really feel like we start our story kind of in Genesis 3 with the fall. Now, obviously, we we read through Genesis 1 and 2, right? We know there's creation, but when we think about it, it's like very quickly, it's like God created everything and then we fell, right? And so, like, we think of our foundation as through the lens of the fall, right? And uh, last week, we kind of stopped to just think a little bit about the goodness that was in, in the garden, right? Are you guys getting feedback, too, or is that just me? No? Yeah? All right. All right. Well, we'll figure it out. Um, I think it's super, super, super important that we remember that our story started with goodness. It was goodness that he designed. When he looked at us and he said, oh, this is good, this is good, this is very good. Like, there's so much goodness to the story, right? And we talked a little bit, Last week, here's some of the reflections from last week. This questioning what we believe. We talked about the difference between belief and faith, right? Does it create a space for you to grow? Because a lot of times in our immaturity, we, we tie belief and faith together, and if one gets shaken, it shakes the other, right? But as we mature and as we grow, we realize, like, you know what? Brent and I might not see eye to eye on everything, right? But our relationship is strong that we can figure that out. Like, we can figure out, I can question some things with him. He can question some stuff with me. Right? How much more so my Heavenly Father, who actually sees everything and knows that I don't see everything, would be okay with me saying, Dad, I don't, I don't, I don't get this. I'm wrestling with this thing. I, I, I believe this thing. And he's like, well, it's not really. You know, but like, let me change that belief. And as I change my belief, does that change my relationship with him? No, it actually brings me into a closer relationship with him. right? And so sometimes I, I'm going to invite us into challenging some of what we believe knowing that, you know what, it doesn't have to shake our faith, asking questions, I guess is my point. God likes us asking questions. Um, We talked a little bit about what things do we see through the perspective of good and evil and what things do we see through the perspective of life. Because when God put them in the garden, you had the two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which led to death, right? And so you had this option of life or death. Right. And so everything that we look through the perspective of life is good. Right? There's so much good. But when we throw on the shades of the life of good and evil, right, that leads to death, and then everything kind of feels like death. Right? In Hebrew actually, you know, we'll talk about this another day, but when it talks about um, well it's like it's like it talks about having a good eye or a bad eye. Is, is the literal Hebrew translation, and we'll talk about this another day. But it's like, do you see things through the good eye of God is good and there's life? Or do you see through the bad eye of like everything is destruction, everything is death. There's, there's this shame, there's all these things that are added on. Um, we'll be talking about that another day. But, but that's the question is, what perspective do we see things through is before or after sin, right? Um, what comparison... In shame, do we let shape our thoughts, beliefs, words, actions, behaviors, and faith? And uh, do you put your trust in what we see or the one who sees it all? Um, we also threw up a graph of before and after eating of the tree. So we've got this story right here, right, where, yeah, I'm, I'm going to read it in a minute, but basically you've got Adam and Eve that eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And things shift in them, right? And so before they were naked with no shame, after they're naked with shame, right? They didn't have any comparison before. They lived out of comparison afterwards, which you need comparison at some level to start then judging. They're like, oh, wait, I see that you're naked and I'm naked. You know what? If I see that and I feel shame, then I'm going to judge you, which also means I'm going to judge me. And wait, if we're judging each other, then you know what? Probably God is judging us too. He's probably got a problem with us being naked, right? Right? And so then we start putting judgments in his head that may not have been there. Now, is there judgments that come from God? Absolutely. Right? Is there consequence to sin? Absolutely. Like I don't want to take that away. right? I'm not trying to say that. But sometimes I do think that there are times where we add judgments that he's not judging on us. Right? It's when we look through that bad eye, when we look through that shame, when we look through the guilt of our sin, of their choices. You guys are hoping for a pick-me-up today, and we've got Genesis 3. So sorry about that. Um, but we start off with this goodness, with this sonship, right? Quickly, we jump into this, this judgment, all right? Before, you've got love entering. After, fear enters. They're afraid. They had never been afraid before, right? And so now they're afraid, and so they try to cover themselves, right, with fig trees, which we'll talk about fig trees another day. But anyways, they cover themselves with these fig trees. Did that cover over their shame? Were they good to go after that? No. No, because our actions can't actually do that. Like our covering is never going to cover over that shame, right? Before we talked about how Adam had called her woman after Eve, and woman was more in who she was as an identity, and Eve was more what she could do, right? Um, You've got Adam resting and Eve resting in the garden. You've got Adam not knowing how to rest afterwards. You've got them trusting God before and then Trusting themselves, and they kind of break trust with God. Not kind of. They do break trust with God, right? God says specifically, don't do this. Adam turns around and says to Eve, our assumption is, hey, don't do this, but also don't even do this, right? Don't even eat of it, but also don't even touch it, right? Now, we don't know 100% that that's exactly how it went, but my assumption being a male is probably what happened, um, I'm going to leave it there. So you've got, before, they knew life. They were eating of this tree of life, so they had tasted of this tree, right? I think that, honestly, there's something that was good that had been put into them, which may or may not, and it's a mystery, I can't tell you exactly, but might have been tied to why those first generations were living like 900 years. P.S. Does anybody know how old Adam was when he died? Throw it out there. 900 and 950. 950 years. Isn't that crazy? We'll talk about genealogies another day. In fact, I'll sit down and I'll talk about like how old Adam was when each of the generations after him came, right? And we'll talk a little bit about, you know, was, was the earth and the heavens created in six literal days or was it longer? And, you know, it kind of goes back to that belief and faith question, right? Like there are people that believe Hey, it's six days literal, and if you don't, you're not saved. And there are people that say, it's, that's nonsense, because you know what? The sun and the moon, which we measure days, were they weren't even there on the first few days, so how can it be literal days? And they'll say, if you believe that it's literal, then you're not saved. Like, that's nonsense. Like, in the end, the, the point of the story is we have a father who created something good, Right? And that shouldn't shake our faith if somebody has this belief or that belief on it because we might be seeing from different angles, I have my strong opinions on stuff, but you know what? Let me just say this humbly. I have been wrong lots of times. <laughs> It'll keep happening, right? But the thing is, I keep pursuing a depth of relationship with because I know, you know what, I want an increase of faith, and I'm okay if that challenges some of my beliefs, some of the things that I'll say will challenge your beliefs. My point is not to challenge your beliefs. My point is, okay, what can we do to use that to say, all right, how does this propel me into a deep relationship with him? Um, anyways, before Father God came close, right, he would come and he would walk with them in the cool of the evenings. They sin, they eat of this tree, and what is the first thing he does? He comes close to them again. Right? Like he comes and is like, hey, where are you guys at? And they're like, we're hiding in the corner because we're afraid. And he's like, oh, yeah, we were naked so we covered ourselves. And his first question is, who told you you were naked? Does that sound like somebody who's super duper angry, like I can't be next to you for all of your turn until I right this wrong? Like I can't physically be in your presence until that is done, until Jesus comes? He's like, I'm going to come into your mess, and I'm going to talk to you. And he's like, what voices are you listening to? Because that's not mine. I didn't have that judgment on you. I, wasn't, I was okay with you being naked in the first place. I'm okay with it now. But, like, I see your shame, and I see that you're covered with your shame and that you have this fear, right? And so we start looking at it, okay? Um, going to the next one. Let's take this. All right, so there was no sin and there's no death beforehand, right? So there hadn't been sin, there hadn't been death until Eve takes of the tree and then gives to Adam, and Adam eats of it too, right? Um, The Bible talks about how sin entered the world and it led to death, right? Um, Beforehand, you've got mankind in the garden. After you've got mankind and he takes them and he kicks them out of the garden, all right? Um, Before there's no enmity, right? There's no strife between any of the Anybody that's there. Afterwards, you have enmity between the seed of mankind and seed of the serpent, right? Beforehand, as far as we understand, as far as I understand, there was no pain. There was no, you know, hard, hard labor. Like, there was work to do, but I don't think that it was, like, the same kind of pain and toil that we've had afterwards. Afterwards, you got painful labor for the woman, and ironically... Painful labor for the man. Have you guys noticed that it's like kind of the same thing? It's like, hey, there's going to be painful labor, right? Now, it looks a little bit different in the context. But, um, yeah, you've got this area here where it says to Eve, your desire for your husband, but he'll rule over you, all right? Before, you've got the ground that is blessed, and afterwards, he's going to a ground that is cursed because of Adam's choice, right? And again, you've got the work and rest, and afterwards, pretty much just work. I'm going to read through Genesis 3. I know that most to all of us have read this before, but I'm just going to read through it, um, at least a good amount of it. All right. Now, the serpent was most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees of the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, said the serpent to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew They were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And again, we talked about, this is not a, I don't actually know where you are. It's You're not where you belong. There's there's something that's off, right? Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked, so I hid. I want to pause again for another second. There's a lot of times when we start wearing that shame, when we sin, when we do something to wrong a brother, wrong somebody, when we walk in those things, we try to cover ourselves with shame. And when we do that, the other thing that we try to do is we separate. We try to isolate from the ones that we've broken trust with. Right? There's this, like, fear of retribution because you're like, I know I deserve what's coming, but I just don't want it, so I'm going to keep... They keep coming closer and we keep walking further away. It's, um, it happens over and over and over again. And I heard a sermon on it. And I got to look through some Hebrew words. But it's kind of, the sermon that I had heard, it was the concept of Pharaoh and his hardening of his heart almost. Where God kept revealing himself in more and more intimate ways. He kept going and showing, hey, chipmunks. I was going to make a joke, but he's welcome for now, as long as he doesn't fry himself on a cord. Um, all right, so, anyways, uh, where was I? Chipmunks. I looked, and like half of the room was like, for the first time, they were like, man, oh, like, yeah, they're really into this story behind me. That's right, I'm not offended. Um, I'm just, just kidding. Um, where was I at? Pharaoh. Pharaoh yeah. It, like, there's these opportunities in our life where we're like, how in the world could God go and just harden his heart? And there's actually a couple different terms used for hardening with that passage, um, where, what Pharaoh does. But it's this fascinating concept. Like, even in Pharaoh's day, nobody really had that kind of intimacy where God was showing him dreams, visions, talking to him, showing him signs, showing him wonders, like revealing himself. Over and over and over, revealing his power, revealing his presence. Like, that is crazy to me. Like, he kept giving him opportunities to soften his heart. And it was Pharaoh that kept choosing to harden, to walk away, to go hide, to put that thing here, to put the fear, the anger, the... Anyways, that's a whole another day. But um, that's the visual that I see now when I read this passage of them hiding. It was a God that was trying to get close and a man that was saying, I can't be close to you. All right, um, the man, uh, da, 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 da. he said, who told you you're naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man doing the manly thing stood up and took responsibility. Sorry, that was in second hesitations. The man replied, the woman you gave to me, she, she gave me some of that fruit from the tree, and I ate it. So God said to the woman, well, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent. It was that serpent. That serpent deceived me and I ate. So God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Uh, We'll take a little closer look at that passage in a little bit. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, don't eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat of the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground. Since you were taken from it, you are dust and you will return to dust. The man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife and he clothed them. So now we have a husbandry and a wife. So husband and wife right here. The Lord God said, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. The Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from where he was taken. He drove their man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming, whirling sword east of the garden to guard the way of the Tree of Life. Um, That's Genesis 3. Fascinating stuff, right? So if we were to go to the next uh, page, Ox. I made a little chiasm. We talked about chiasms last week and how Genesis is filled with these chiasms where it's like it'll do A, B, C, D, E, D, C, B, A, right? And so here you've got like man coming into three. It's man's going to leave father and mother, bond with his wife, and they'll become one flesh. And then did God really say you can't eat of the tree? And then you've got Adam and woman ate of the tree. They saw that they were naked, sewed clothes to cover themselves. God talks to the man Then he talks to the woman, then he talks to the serpent. God talks to the woman, God talks to the man. Then Adam and Eve had eaten of the tree, and so God had sewed clothes to cover them. Then God really saw, says, hey, you can't actually eat of this tree of life. And then man was intimate with his uh, wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. Isn't that kind of cool? Like how it's written sometimes poetically. So sometimes we talk about... You know, is the Bible literal? Is it figurative? Like, there's different portions of the Bible that are both, right? Like, we're going to talk about this passage here, and there's this, there's this spot in here where it's like he's talking to um, the serpent, right? So God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock, more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. So we start right there in 14 when it talks about it. You know, and we had talked a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned, you know, hey, you got this animal that's talking in the garden, right? And the question is, belief-wise, there's a lot of people that believe this is a physical serpent, a physical snake that is talking in the garden. And there's some people that say, this is a figurative thing. It's not actually a serpent that's talking, but it's a representation of Satan, right? And so Satan, whether taking on the body of a serpent or actually being in presence, Or through, you know, thought. Like, there's a whole, like, gamut of perspective and beliefs on these things, right? And I'm not going to wade through all of those details of which is which and all of that stuff. My point is, though, right, regardless, you've got an entity that is deceitful and cunning and crafting that is saying to Eve, hey, you want to be like God? You want to have power? Like, you want to see like he does? You want to know the truth of good and evil? Like you want, this, the reason why he is, he's, she's putting doubt in her head, like, hey, he doesn't want you to essentially be just like him. It's so good, right? And so she starts thinking, well, maybe, maybe I want this thing. right? She starts desiring this thing. And she eats it, and as soon as she eats it, she's like, hey, Adam, come on over. And Adam's in this tough spot, right? Because he's like, do I, do I stay with the only one now that I know? Like, I, you're the only one that is like my partner, like you're, I've, seen, I've named all the beasts of the field. I've named all the animals. You're the only one that's compatible with me. Do I stay with you or do I follow what God the Father was saying? Like that's a tough spot that he's in, right? I'm going to leave it there, um, right? So there's this other fascinating second part of it, 15. I'll put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Um, If we were to go, first of all, I want to just ask, you know, that that serpent. There's a lot of verses of of serpent stuff in the Bible. And a lot of references to Satan in the Bible. And we'll talk more about it another day. But right now, I just want to throw up some verses. um, In Revelation, it talks about he sees the dragon Uh, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan and bound him for a thousand years, right? And so a lot of people look at Revelation 20. Also, I think it's 12 or 18. It talks about kind of that same thing of the ancient serpent who is the devil. Um, So you have these verses that are like that, but then you also have these verses that are like um, in John, "You you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies, right? And then in 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul's saying, hey, but I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent, right? But some of these serpent ideas and Satan ideas, like there's, there's a whole another sermon that's coming another day, but um, point is there's this tie, right? There's, they're definitely on the same team. There's this, there's this Satan figure, there's this serpent figure that's saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to deceive you, right? There's some rabbis that I've read through some stuff of uh, that believe that in this whole exchange in Genesis that you actually had the serpent trying to essentially make an impure seed with Eve, which is a fascinating thought. I'm not here saying that that is exactly what it is. It's a fascinating thing that when I wrestle with my beliefs, I say, Interesting, well, that might make more sense when you start saying, I'll put hostility between your seed and their seed. Like there's definitely this point where this chiasm comes into this thing where he's he's saying, hey, there's something going on with the seeds. There's a seed that's of life and a seed that's not of life, right? There's a seed of Jesus, seed of God the Father that is coming, right? So there's these two seeds, right? And it says, uh, he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, if you look at a number of different translations in English, it gets translated a bunch of different ways. One is like, um, you know, crush and crush, bruise and bruise, bruise and strike. Um, there's just a number of them. And uh, in Genesis 3:15, bruise your head, bruise your heel. Uh, Job 9:17, if you take that word and translation, it's like he crushes me with the storm. So think of anybody that's ever had depression, anybody that's ever walked in that stuff, it's like there's so much darkness around you that it's like it will cover you and, like, it will crush you is kind of the concept in Job. In Psalm 139, surely the darkness will cover you, right? And so you have this covering of darkness that's kind of like this crushing word, this, this thing that happens um, for for this thing that can't be translated, right? Right? Um, and there's another word that often gets used, too. If you go to the next line, it says, Paul says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. And it's, you know, when you start looking at the context of the verse, it's and well, obviously we know more of the story than Adam and Eve did at the time, right? So a lot of this is talking about Jesus, right? So Jesus, the seed, right, who's going to crush Satan, right? And I heard... I heard a guy say it this way, and I was offended the first time I heard it, so please give me grace. But the way that he had viewed it, he was like, you know what? It's almost as though Jesus had crushed Satan so hard, he stomped on him so hard that it bruised his heel. And I was like, that's a fascinating perspective, right? Because there's obviously Jesus that is, is having some pain. He's getting, you know, He was striked when he was on, on the cross, right? so he had this pain. But in the end, Jesus actually took him out, right? But the, the thought behind it, which I do like, is a lot of times when we think of things through the knowledge of the good and evil, we think that there's two equal and opposing forces. Right? A lot of times we think of Jesus and Satan as this like epic battle. But the truth is it's not an epic battle of like equal power and equal authority. Right? And so that's why like I didn't like that analogy, but I like the concept of the fact that like the, the different level and uh, power and authority between Jesus And Satan was so strong that it's like, you know what? His authority could crush, and you know what? You might bruise my heel in the process, but like, I'm going to put this thing down. Um, Anyways, another one of those things that you guys can wrestle with if you want. Um, Let me get to my next slide. Um, I want to read for you. Um, this passage here. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come and the hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all the dominion, authority, and power. So it's like that crushing of that. Um, worldly system for he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet that last enemy to be destroyed is death for he has put everything under his feet now when it says that everything he has been put under him it is clear that it doesn't include god himself who put everything under christ Uh, when he has done this then the son himself he'll be made subject to him who put everything under him so that god may be all and in all in John 8, 34-38 says, Jesus replied, Very truly I say to you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. The Bible makes it clear that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It also makes it clear that, you know what, the wages of sin is death, right? So sin is going to lead to death. In Adam's case, that sin led to physical and spiritual death. So there's, there's sin that leads to death, right? Jesus is saying, hey, you know what, if you're sinning, you're a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. He goes on to say, I know that you are Abraham's uh, descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you that I have seen in the father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. And this is like he goes on to tell them, hey, your father is father of lies. He's talking to the Pharisees. That's a tough one, right? We're talking about seeds, one that's a father of truth and one that's a father of lies, right? Um, but it's, it's this fascinating thing where you start off in the garden as a son. Then they walk into this slavery of sin. But Jesus comes back to adopt us back in as sons. Uh, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, who is the first Adam, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. Um, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For as in all, Adam die, sorry, in as in Adam all die, so in Christ we all are made alive. Um, I just want to stop and just think for a little while. We, we have to remember that the story is good. Right, Because very frequently we get to this place and it's just like, man, for the next thousands of years all we have is death and destruction. And this, we call it a sin cycle. Like if you were to even look in in your Google, please don't do this right now. But like if you go and you were to put in like Judges, you don't even have to get any further. It'll pop up Judges sin cycle. Isn't that fascinating? Because in my opinion, everything after that point is is through the lens of knowledge of good and evil, right? And so we're looking at the sin. Now, was there a sin cycle that Israel kept going through? Yes, 100%. But if you're looking through the bad eye, if you're looking through that tree, you're going to see a sin cycle. If you look through the tree of life, if you look through a good eye, if you look through, hey, what is God doing? You see a redemption cycle. Because every time they walked in sin, there was an invitation into redemption, It was like, hey, we're going into sin. God's like, let me redeem you. Hey, we're doing this thing that's going to bring a lot of shame. Hey, let me cover over you. Hey, you know what? We got this thing. And he's like, let me cover that. Let me bring you back. Let me bring back a remnant over and over again. So there's, we, a lot of times, will see a sin cycle. He sees a redemption cycle. So my encouragement today as we're working through this is what lens, which tree are we looking through, right? Are we looking through the thing that's going to produce life and hope We're looking through the thing that produces death and fear, right? Because I feel like the world wants us to have one of those. So you have to intentionally choose the other. Um, Reflections as we go into some time of prayers. Do we desire or put ourselves in the place of God in our own lives? How does that work for us when we do, right? Eve wanted to be like God. Didn't work out so great. Adam joined her, didn't work out so great. Adam, right, we talked about how he, he was driven by his work. One of the things that you end up seeing is God curses the serpent, and I think he curses the ground. I'm not 100% sure he curses Adam and Eve. Now, in it, he increases child pain and labor, which I guess you could consider as a curse, right? Adam, he says, hey, here's this thing. It's going to be painful labor. But very frequently, what is he inviting them into is rest. So many of us promises rest, 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 rest. Let me give you good things. Let me restore. Let me redeem, right? And so I think of it as like me and, and my sons, for instance. There's going to be times where, where my kids will do things that I'm like, hey, there's a consequence. Don't do this thing. And they do it. And I say, okay, because you did this thing, let me tell you what that leads to. Does that make sense? Like, you made this choice. This is what's going to happen out of that choice. Is because I love you, I want to tell you this thing, right? Do I then say, hey, because you didn't do this thing, I'm going to curse you, right? Again, might challenge some of your beliefs to where I'm at today. Um, but the ground is cursed because of Adam. God definitely curses the serpent. Um, Adam and Eve, there's that, which probably feels very much like a curse. Adam goes out, and the stuff that he had this fruitful actual garden with... He was now working in, in like a desert, right? Thorns and thistles, which I don't know. How many of you men are like me where it's just like you could work and work and work and work and work, and it'll, sometimes it's like it's never going to be enough. It's never going to be that thing. You could always fix that one more thing. Like there's this thing on men that like they can't sit down and rest. It's like all they want to do is work all the time, right? There's something in there with... with well, both men and women with the desire to rule over others. I'm leave that there for today too. Are we covered by shame or covered by righteousness? Right? We're invited in the New Testament you know, what to put the breastplate of righteousness that protects. Are we covered by his righteousness? Right? Are we covered by the sonship or are we still living as slaves to sin? Um, that's another one too. Anyways, do we have a father of lies or a father of truth? Are we slaves to sin or sons of righteousness? So this is just some reflections to think about, chew on, wrestle with, um, with me. Anyways, um, what we do now as a church, for those that are new, is we like to meet in just groups of four, five, six, because we have a church of ministers, and we minister to each other. We encourage each other. We pray over each other. We bless each other. um, We mourn with each other. We have joy with each other, right? So this is a time for us to do that. Talk about these things, and then we'll get together for some more worship soon.